how's it, guys? Welcome back on this Wednesday with me, Nick. And as always, I'm joined by my good buddy, Ronnie. A little bit cooler this week. We've had a little bit of rain here in Pretoria, which has helped a lot. Last week, I was bloody melting here, Ronnie. Yeah, but this week, it's been maybe less than 24 hours that the temperatures have cooled. But uh, if you want to say it's a whole week, sure. Well, um, what, do they, what do the kids say? They're manifesting it. I'm manifesting the colder week because I can't do another one like last week. No, I agree. I uh, I was suffering and I have an aircon and I've got multiple fans and just nothing was doing the trick. Yeah, and the aircon's working overtime and then we've got lovely ESCOM chipping in there as well to make sure that we suffer. Yeah, ESCOM coming in, turning off our electricity and then also having the audacity to increase the electricity prices. So good time to be in South Africa. I suppose the only way you can get around that is to support a bit of rugby because uh, we didn't do too shabby, I think. No, not a bad weekend of rugby at all. Busy, busy weekend in the URC. You know, some teams, they ended up not playing their box. It's a bit confusing whether or not that's rest period and, and what's not rest period, but I think we'll chat about that a little bit later. We look at it, though. Zebra 24, Ospreys 28. You know, good victory for the Ospreys. A late comeback there for them. But I think they were buoyed a bit by their form. You know, first time they've qualified for the Champions Cup playoffs since 2010. So a bit of fight returning to the Osprey squad. Yeah, and Zebra's obviously strung together a couple of good games recently, although they haven't won them all. They've done pretty well, I think. Yeah, I mean, we spoke about it last week, which was at a 14-7 loss to Toulon. So they really are stringing it together. Then a bit of a disappointing one for the Lions. You know, 43 to Connacht, 24 to Lions. They were away. Tough tour. The Lions have been on the road for four weeks, so they'll be happy to be returning to South Africa. But I think their set piece was just, you know, their biggest challenge on the night. Yeah, Connacht at home is a very difficult team to beat. I mean, the Storm have struggled with them against in the URC earlier in the year, the previous tournament. The Sharks have gone over there and, and struggled. Connacht isn't isn't a walkover team. I also heard some people pronounce it Connaught. So I think we're going to have to get some people to clarify that for us. Yeah, I think what did our friend Ian Chirp does this weekend for how we pronounce the French name. So maybe we need to hit up Duolingo and and get these, this pronunciation correct. The I think Lions, just firstly, I wouldn't trust anything that comes out of that guy's mouth. And if he listens, yeah, I hope you heard that. You know, Connacht, they've got the second most line-out steals in the competition so far. And no South African team has ever won to Connacht when Connacht was playing at home. So a bit of an expected result. And, you know, I feel like I've defended the Lions in the recent weeks on this podcast. You too, Ronnie. But now those those bad results are starting to rack up a little bit. and. Chalkvery coming out, he's saying, you know, the squad needs to sit down. They need to have a reset now that the tour is done and just fix what's going on because they, they're they really not performing to the level they were in the opening weeks of the competition. And they've got great assistant coaches, right? I think uh, just the only complaint with the Lions is their, their, main, their main coach, though. I think a lot of people are disappointed in how, what he's able to produce there. They've got great assistant coaches like Chalkvery, so really they should be performing at a we expect them to perform at a higher level. Yeah, you definitely want more out of the Lions. You know, they have qualified for the Challenge Cup playoffs, but it's a young squad, but it's a squad that's starting to struggle a little bit. And, you know, you don't want to see them dropping too far down the log. You want something respectable there. Then, I don't know about you, and maybe we are biased. You know, we've said many times this is two Shark supporters hosting a podcast. But a 22-19 victory over Edinburgh. To put it in context, Edinburgh beat Saracens last week at home for the Saracens. Big, big victory for the Sharks. The Sharks' defense spoke quite a bit to me about the team's attitude in the competition now. 
Well, the Sharks' defense in the last 10, 15 minutes, right? The defending on the line was fantastic. I also think we need to commend Edinburgh for not going for a post to draw the game. Uh, they went for the jugular. They went for the win at the end there, and they, their fans appreciated that. I appreciated that. It was a, you know, well done to them. It's not a case of what's what's the guy with the nice hair that for England that kicked the ball out against the All Blacks? I know you're not talking about Eddie. He's got no head. No, Marcus. No, when Marcus <laughs> Smith kicking the ball out and accepting the draw, that's not always nice. But, you know, well done for Edinburgh for fighting. It was a very good game. Very good game. And considering we we didn't have all of our Springboks, we had a couple of Springboks dotted here and there. I thought we, we pulled off a fantastic win. And, and we being the, the Sharks. Yeah, and as you say, you know, a number of Springboks absent from that game. There was no Bongi. There was no Yerbin, no Sia. Lukanya Ama Pimpi, number of them missing. But a Springbok that really stepped up for me was Apalele Fassi. It was the first time I've seen him play in that sort of 2021 form for quite a while. So I was quite chuffed with that. He was making some good hits and, I mean, a try saving tackle at the death there. I am, the jury's still out for me on that one. One game doesn't, does, isn't form. So I think he's got a couple of games that he needs to string together to prove that he's back to where he was at one point in his career. But for me, the Springbok that stepped up, stepped out, and stepped away was Ox and Che along the wing there. Yeah. yeah, can we take a minute to recognize Ox on the wing? I, I think he's playing the wrong position for the Springboks, to be honest. And you know what the magic comes from, Ronnie? It's what Ox always says. Salads don't win scrums. Yeah, well, I also think it's a case of putting a sevens coach in charge, right? You might just see some of your your, your players uh, playing more sevens like rugby. Are you suggesting we're going to see Van Cock in the front row now? No, no, I'm just saying that we're going to see across the board a couple more players willing to run the ball. No, that would be quite exciting, that's for sure. And, you know, I celebrated my 21st birthday this weekend, so the Sharks gave me a, a nice celebration. Jeez, you've got a real problem with the amount of back aches and, and hair loss that you've got being at your tender age of 21. <laughs> Let me have it, Ronnie, 21 until I die. Then we move over. I get tired of saying it now. It's so predictable. Leinster, 38-14. Cardiff. Oh, another win for Leinster. Oh. It's just the way it keeps going. You you pretty much, it's a default pick at this stage on Supergroup. Yeah, they might as well just put them through to the playoff stages and we'll meet them there and uh, we'll beat them there. Yeah, there we go. Let them get to the semifinals and then the South Africans will come and dust them up a little bit. Then over to Dragons, 28-42 for Warriors. You know, Warriors scoring six tries to four in that game. I thought it was quite impressive. They had a strong second half to win that one. Yeah, I think any team that goes away from home and wins, well done to them. Old Worcestershire. And then Benetton, 30, 40 points to Munster. Now we spoke, you know, Munster was doing well in the Champions mm -hmm. Cup, struggling in the URC. Mm -hmm. But this was a good victory for them. I mean, they're now above Benetton on the log. And I think a special shout out in that game must go to Joey Carberry. You know, racking up 15 points there and a try in the 76th minute to see Munster home. So, putting his hand up to succeed Johnny Sexton. Benetton's a difficult one, right? So, Benetton have been putting a couple of good performances as well in recent weeks. Uh, so, we had a bit of a debate, myself and my colleague. My colleague actually gave me a little bit of trouble for calling him my colleague. His name is Martin, actually. He's possibly a friend, you could say. So, shout out to you, Martin. But Martin said Benetton was going to take this. I stuck with Munster, predicted that they would win. But rightly so, Benetton, well done to them. It was a good call to, to if you wanted to really call Benetton for that one, it wasn't a, it wasn't a poor decision, I think. 
uh, yeah, Billy I, Fox really performing. Yeah, like you say, you definitely wouldn't have been too far off base to back Benetton. A lot of the Italian side featuring in, in the Benetton team. And then, as if the Sharks winning wasn't a big enough 21st birthday present, my colleague who supports the Stormers, I got to laugh at him this morning, 35-5 lost to Ulster. That was not the most ideal game playing there at the Ravenhill Stadium. Five tries by Ulster. Yeah, and they led the game for 68 minutes. The 12 minutes that they didn't lead, no one had any points on the board. Yeah, I think uh, I might need to retract what I said earlier in the podcast. It's a good weekend to be a South African. Watch the rugby. They'll bring a lot of happiness to your life when only the Sharks won (laughs) out of all the South African teams. But yeah, regardless, Ulster, very dominant performance by them. But something controversial came out of that game. Is that not so? Yeah, well, I know I know what you're going to get to as controversial, but I'm just going to give some context to this game. So the Stormers were already without their Springboks. Then Dan Duplessis wasn't available. And then shortly before kickoff, Junior Pocomelo was drawn with concussion and Clayton Blomikis was withdrawn for a groin injury, replaced by Kate Volhuta. And then in the fourth minute, the Stormers lost JJ Kotze to concussion. Just after the 20th minute, they lost Ivan Roos to a knee injury, Jean-Luc Duplessis to concussion. Um, so they they really were dealing with a war zone situation. But I think maybe you can give the listeners a bit of context on that incident you were talking about. Yeah, I suppose it's... I didn't actually watch the game, ultimately. But I uh, didn't watch the replays. And it's a little bit unfortunate what happened. I know we've touted uh, Evan Ruiz as being the next big eighth man prodigy to come into the Springbok framework. Unfortunately, the man who's, who's you know, we all love, Thor Vermeulen, actually together with one of his teammates, took part in an incident where Evan Riss may have injured himself. I'm not sure what the injury actually is. Is it a knee? Is it a groin? Maybe you can tell us. But yeah, crocodile roll, which just to clarify, crocodile roll is not illegal, but does, depending on how you perform it, it uh, it can hurt the opposition player. So, it's, I mean, it's a very easy, we've seen a lot of players do it over the years. It's very easy to move it, to tip someone over take them off their feet, in which case they are then out of the ruck, cannot compete for the ruck. But it's just unfortunate how it unfolded because Evan Riss was, you know, it's leading into the World Cup. We don't need him getting injured and he's been injured now. Yeah, like you say, I mean, the crocodile, I almost said the crocodile rock, the crocodile roll. It's for me quite dangerous. It shouldn't really be allowed in the game. Unfortunately, Evan Riss getting injured, it is a knee injury. But it's so severe that it looks like he's going to miss the rest of the Stormer season as well as the Springboks World Cup Challenge. If it's his ACL and MCL, he will be out for up to nine months. So unfortunately, that that's likely his World Cup chance is gone. Yeah, I suppose even if it isn't as severe as we think it is, it's significant enough to keep him out of the World Cup preparations. You know, and when he, if he does come back early... You know, is he going to have enough time to cement himself a position in the World Cup? But look, I think as all doom and gloom for the Springboks, we still have old Jasper, your 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 favourite. There, we've got Thor Vermeer and we've got a couple of Lucys that they can put their hands up. But Evan Riss would have absolutely been a fantastic addition to the Springbok squad. Yeah, and I think I've seen on our page this week some people suggesting that Dwayne Vermeulen did it on purpose to retain his Springbok spot. I think that's a bit no. of a ludicrous, ludicrous thing to say. Dwayne would never do that. It's just something that happened in the heat of the moment. And I mean, you could see for the pictures afterwards, Dane, Dwayne went and apologized and, and their mates, you know. No, I don't think Dwayne Familiar hasn't got a malicious bone in his body. I mean, for 80 minutes, he's going to try and throttle you, but it's going to be within the laws of the game. I don't think he's a very, he's a dirty player. So no. it's just unfortunate. 
And then, Ronnie, we move over to the last one involving a South African side, Scarlets 37, Bulls 28. For me, the Bulls just never really looked like they were in it. Eh? They were really struggling to put anything together on attack, get go-forward ball, and ultimately a disappointing result for the side. Yeah, a little bit disappointing in the Bulls. They sort of hit and miss at the moment, winning winning some games, losing a whole bunch that they really should be winning. But again, it's difficult to go over there. It's difficult to go over to these UK countries, UK and Ireland countries, and, and, and perform there. It's, it is a real challenge. So well done to Scarlets for defending their home ground. But um, yeah, a little bit of hit and miss with the Bulls at the moment. Yeah, and the Bulls really struggling with these 4G pitches, not getting much time to train on them. You know, I've never experienced one, so I can't actually say how challenging it is. But for me, it looked more that the Bulls were struggling with basic ball skills more than they were with a pitch. But that's obviously speaking as an outsider. Yeah, I think and, I don't even notice the 4G pitch unless somebody actually mentions it. Maybe mentions. we can just talk, talk. Yeah, maybe we can just talk that down for the topic of discussion for next week. Maybe we can even get one of the players to come on and just have a chat to us about playing on that. Uh, maybe like Simma Tanzima, we can see if we can reach out to him. And, you know, the Bulls will also, they've been without head coach Jake White, who had emergency surgery, but he will be returning to the side now. I think that's going to make a difference. You know, do you think that's had a big influence on their results, Ronnie? No, I think in the absence of a coach for a single weekend or maybe even two weekends isn't, isn't that severe. There's enough leadership, enough coaching staff members in the team for the team to carry on. You know, coaching starts to impact, you know, two, three, four months after their absence. We look at the Springbok rest period and the camp. So also just to say to everyone, the Sharks are now eighth on, on the URC log, but they're the only team with two games in hand, obviously having missed out on the fixture when the team got or that side got sick down at the coast. And then they will be playing the Stormers this week. I believe that the Springbok players will be available for the Sharks to face the Stormers. So if the Stormers don't call up their box and face an injury list like this, we could be in for quite an encounter. I have a whiskey bet running at work for a bottle of Jameson. So Aiden, if you're listening to this, our bet's now officially recorded on the podcast. I look forward to getting my free whiskey on Monday. So do you think now, how long are the Springboks going to get off? It's going to be about six weeks, Ronnie. Do you think that's enough time for them to recoup before they they head into the business end of the competitions and warm up for the international season. No, explain that to me. So it's, I thought they were out for a whole two months. So it's only six weeks is what you're saying. Correct. Well, I mean, Eoburn and Sia and the likes all got a rest this week, as well as most of the other Springboks. But it seems like they are going to now be made available for this coming weekend. So the rest is not an uninterrupted two months, it would seem. Right. Okay. Well, I think... Uh... Sort of the December holiday was usually where they always took their, their where they had their off season, took their break, and that's that's really only a month, right? And then they got back into it early in January with warm up camps and all of that. So, yeah, maybe they don't really need warm up camps with the amount of rugby that they've been playing. But yeah, I think six weeks should be fair. Because I mean, it's hard to imagine the box now prepping for the World Cup, but also having to take in player workloads. So it's going to be a balancing act when they do name the squad for the rugby championship and the warm-up fixtures, how much impetus they put on each game, how much traveling the side has to do. And then Six Nations set to start this weekend. That's going to be a big one. We are on Super Brew, guys. There's about 800 of us in the pool. So please do join in there. The, the top few guys will win some lacquer hats and t-shirts. Before we delve into the fixtures and the squads a little bit, Bernard Laporte resigned, hey, Ronnie. Can you bloody believe it? It's about time. 
That's <laughs> about Thomas, just because you're salty because uh, the French took the World Cup from us uh, or hosting the World Cup from us in Ireland. Well, I mean, he's now, he was found guilty of corruption. So it's not even just an allegation. The French courts found him guilty in favoring the Toulon owner in awarding a national shirt contract for the team. And Montpellier, was it not? Oh, apologies. Yes, the owner of Montpellier. And, you know, then it brings up questions. France suddenly late entry into the World Cup mix. You know, what sort of things went on there in order to get France the World Cup in 2023? But maybe this is not a can of worms we should open. It's not like it's going to change anything. No, I agree. It's, I don't think we should open it. And look, the media is always going to be like, oh, no, you know, he's guilty of favoring a T-shirt deal. So, he, you know, the, the World, World Cup must have illegally been awarded to them. Maybe it's not something we open up, but uh, we could just state the facts. Fair enough. So then turning over to the Six Nations, it's an interesting one at the first fixture. You've got Wales now under the guidance of Warren Gatland, who's returned new backroom staff as well for Wales, and they are facing world number one Ireland this weekend. You know, are Ireland going to name a full-strength squad? Are Wales going to bounce back? You know, you normally see teams sort of get a big pickup in energy as a new coach comes into the environment. What is your What are your thoughts on those two sides, Ronnie? It's an exciting matchup. I think Wales, Wales, I stand under correction. I mean, I could be, somebody could point out to me that this is not the case, but I always feel like Wales plays a little bit stronger in the Six Nations, so they tend to do a fair bit better than they do in Autumn Internationals uh, and, and mid-year tours. So I'm excited to that for that game, and yeah, I'm sure Ireland's going to put together a full-strength team with Sexton at the helm. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Ireland juggle, because now they've also got to look with an eye to the World Cup and, and squad management. I think Ireland are probably the favourites to win this tournament. So I'm, I'm backing Ireland for a win in that fixture. But I think Wales are going to show a lot of fight and a lot of, of bite. You know, Warren Gatland has very limited time to get his team aligned and, and functioning. But it's not so long ago that his systems will be completely out of the players' minds when he was last there. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see what sort of Wales side we, we see. And I was quite I surprised. Will this I do want to firstly disagree with you before you move on to the next topic that you're saying Ireland are the favourites to, to win this tournament uh, because you made the same mistake last year. And then but I, I, there's method to my madness in this one. I know you're okay, going to say so, so we're just going to establish right here, right now, that you're backing Ireland once again for the win in the Six Nations and I'm backing either in England or a France for the Six Nations. Okay, we've got it on record, Ronnie. Then we look over... England versus Scotland. So that's the Calcutta Cup. That's going to be hosted at Twickenham this year. Scotland winning the last four out of five fixtures. England with quite an injury list heading into this one, which is far less than ideal with the new coach in position. And it's going to be interesting to see how Borthwick handles this team environment. You know, does he stick with the conservative sort of things he learned under Eddie at the England camp? Or is he going to, you know, let the guys that have come into his coaching staff from Harlequins have their say and imprint a nice attacking style on the English game. And where's he going to play his tackle school graduate? Is he going to play him at fly-off or at inside centre? Yeah, I'm curious on you. Do you think they work as a 10-12 combo, Marcus Smith and Owen Farrell? I think Marcus Smith is is impressive enough to to warrant his, his to warrant his him playing at 10. So, yeah, I think Marcus Smith playing at 10 should 
should take that and then what does that leave? Owen Farrell has to play 12 because there's no way they, they found that loophole and exploited that loophole with the Saracens making Owen Farrell available to not pick him. So it's going to be what? Marcus Smith 10, Owen Farrell 12. It has to be. It works. Well, it's going to be interesting because Steve Borthwick spoke out a number of times on how the 10-12 combo of Farrell and Marcus Smith does not work. So is he going to back Farrell at 10? You know, as international fans, we don't get to see Farrell play at 10 much. But if you watch him at Saracens at fly-off, you're reminded of how much class he actually brings to that role. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Marcus Smith on the bench. I'm not a fan of their 10-12 combo. Although I would like to say Marcus should start, they're never going to bench their captain. So backing Owen at 10. And although, speaking of the England injuries, Henry Slade is now out. So that's probably going to force the 10-12 combo of Smith and Farrell. Oh, there we go. Yep. They also, Jamie George, not yet available. He's still busy with the return to play. A big loss to the England side is Courtney Laws. I think he's a huge member of that pack and has a massive influence on their loose play. And then Elliot Daly also withdrawn. Yeah, I think with all these, I'm still going in favour of England over Scotland. I think Borthwick's going to bring fresh perspective, although I think Eddie Jones was still the man for the job, but Borthwick's going to have some tricks up his sleeves. There'll be increasing performance i believe from england in these first couple of games i don't know if borthwick's the man for the world cup but uh, i think we're going to see a, a jump in performance for with england at least in the first couple of games i think england is only going to beat wales this competition they're going to suffer a humiliating defeat to italy and they're going to lose lose to scotland ireland and france i'm backing lack a little trick play there from finn russell to win it for scotland this weekend Sure, that would be fantastic to see. Because Scotland also does really well. I mean, they also are the England slayers. 100%. And how nice would it be to see Italy claim another top-tier nation, eh? Okay, but with France's recent run, yeah, I don't see that happen. No, not this weekend. I'm talking when they face England. Right, of course. Yeah, sure. And then... Anyone beating England is fantastic. <laughs> That's, very... That's very true. And then we look at Italy versus France. That's a game happening in Italy this weekend. You know, Italy, a young, exciting team. They have come up with some interesting wins recently. Beating Australia was a big one for them. They also beat Wales last year. I think France is a bit of a stretch. France are an incredible, incredible side. So I'm definitely backing France to win that one. Absolutely. Can't disagree. But there's something I just want to to chat to you about and the listeners with this French side, which really impressed me when I looked at their squad that was named now. Can you believe that they have nine debutants in a squad in a World Cup year? To me, that just says this is a team that's looking to improve. You're not safe in your position. Everyone here is fighting for a chance. Nine new guys getting a chance ahead of the World Cup. Guys like Penault being rested for the Six Nations. Bold calls, and that's the kind of ballsy move you see leading you to World Cup finals playoffs. Well, they know what they have in Penault. And if, you're gonna, if, you, if you are going to experiment... Uh, this is your last chance to experiment. But nine so, is a lot, or am I wrong? I mean, the other teams have no more than one. How big are the squads? 34. Yeah, no, I think nine is a fair amount. Nine uh, is a lot just, of look, look, they they blooded how many players last year already with their little tour to Japan and whatnot. So, yeah, they're not, a, they're not scared to experiment. And a little bit of creativity uh, is going to go a long way. No, for sure. And I mean, I I think that that's exactly the kind of thing you need to do leading up to the World Cup. I'm very, very impressed with that squad selection. And like you say, they had last year against Japan where they already expanded their squad. Now they're looking at even more depth. 
it's incredible. Well done to France. They're really getting something right in that national setup. Absolutely. So I see you've mentioned here a comment about the Grand Slam. So shall we just get that out of the way? Well, I so think that's you're obviously big... backing. You're obviously backing Ireland, right? So that means you're going to say Ireland for the Grand Slam. Well, the Grand Slams are a completely different thing from winning the Six Nations. You know, can they beat all these sides? I don't see Ireland beating France. Okay. Sorry. Wait. Grand Slam is just what UK and Irish teams undefeated. So you got to win, beat, win all your games in the Six Nations. Correct. So you reckon? Okay. So, so what you're saying, Mister Mister Nick, is that Ireland's going to win the Six Nations. However, they're not going to be able to take the Grand Slam. Correct. Do you think anyone's going to get yeah. the Grand Slam? I think uh, I think the only team that stands a chance, and I do agree with you, Ireland. You know, Ireland's a contender to to win the Six Nations, so they're definitely not going to win the Grand Slam. The only team that would possibly win the Grand Slam is France themselves. However. I think it's a little bit more difficult, like you mentioned, with nine new debutants in the squad, that they'll probably go down to the likes of, say, Ireland or, or possibly England, but they'll still, they'll still take the win. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to watch the Six Nations unfold. You know, every tournament, every international in the World Cup year is fascinating because it can take one game to propel you into a starting lineup in a World Cup and one game for you to disappear from the squad entirely. So, you know, players are really playing their hearts out now in this year. Then, Ronnie, you know, I just wanted to have a, a chat. Did you manage to see that video clip of Nick White by Stan Sports? Nick White and, and Ned Hannigan. Yeah. I did see that. What did you think of that? Look, I think the benefit, uh, you know, you know, the players, don't, players when, they, when they have to go out into the public, into the media, you know, they're not always aware of what's going to unfold in front of them they get put in a situation asked to take part in something i don't think they planned or they knew ahead of time that they were going to take part in a video of smacking a tennis ball at a referee so i'd like to i'd like to cite with the players that you know they didn't knowingly enter into what they were doing there but look it's a bad look it's a bad look one guy on our facebook page commenting if rassi erasmus had done that he would have been banned to 2055 <laughs> no absolutely for sure, but I mean, you, you have to put the blame on Stan Sports or whoever the people were that were actually, you know, that organized that, that event. It was was quite funny, though. It's yeah, so I mean, they've taken the video down now, but for any of the listeners that haven't seen this video, it is available on our Facebook and Instagram pages. Nick White and Ned Hannigan are called up. They There's a, a moving picture of Matthew Reynald moving around the, the TV screen, and they're hitting tennis balls at his face to try and get points. Yeah, poor form, poor form from the Wallabies. And I wonder if World Rugby is going to take any action. Can I be a little bit controversial? Can I just say that, look, it's it's just a harmless joke. Like, everybody knows, every all the fans think that, that that win was stolen from the Wallabies. Fact is, rules were rules and the rules were followed. But honestly, are we that sensitive now? Are we that sensitive? I don't know. I just I just don't like the double standards that this seems to portray. So maybe even just a statement from World Rugby might appease some some of us. I'm in that crowd that's baying for World Rugby to get its house in order across the board, not just when it comes to discipline. So Ronnie, World Rugby now, after our chat last week about the new RFU tackle laws, World Rugby came out and said, you know, this is something they want to see included in the professional game. Then they very quickly backtracked after a lot of criticism. I don't know who does the PR for the RFU and World Rugby, but this is really a, a shocking performance from them from that standpoint. But then Belinda, she did have a chat with the guys from Progressive Rugby, 
she got some nice questions in there and our fan question for this week actually comes on the basis of that so they suggested that their, their, their submissions to the RFU were that the tackle height should be at the armpit. So Leon Bukes, Bukes wrote in and he asked us, you know, would we be willing to accept a tackle height defined as the armpit as sort of the cutoff for a high tackle? My initial assessment, yeah, I would be okay with that. So let's just clarify, it's, his name is Leon, right? Correct. Leon Bukes. There we go. Apologies, Leon. I'm yes. going to have to add Afrikaans to my Duolingo training. Jesus. Okay. Now, look, I, I thought about this. I saw the agenda points before the recording of this podcast. So I thought about it on my drive home today. Look, it comes down to a question of, of mechanics, right? So there's a couple of pivot points in the body. I think uh, your your body pivots around around the waist area. It also pivots around the neck area. So dropping the the tackle height two inches from the top of the shoulder down to the armpit I don't think takes enough force off of your uh, off of your neck, which is the concern here, right? So you know, force equals mass times acceleration. If you get tackled further away from from your head, it means you know the the collision, uh, the impact of the collision is less felt on the on the outer extremities of your body or the top of your head. And you know, moving the tackle line closer towards the neck area is just going to put a lot more force onto the neck and head area. So dropping it two inches, I don't think is 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 uh, going to do much to the force. Number one, I think previously, and and point number two is that previously world rugby have uh, experimented in various formats with the nipple line. I think uh, I don't I don't know if there's a better word for that, but it was the nipple line, uh, chest and lower, and and they didn't that didn't that didn't buy. So look, the tackle law says, you know, make a contact above the shoulder line, even if the point of contact originated below the shoulder line and i think uh, i think making it the armpit is is just not enough it's not it's not going to discourage tackling at that level is you know that's 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 one part to it i think the yeah. the next part to it and we do need to discuss is they do need to just look holistically at the whole tackle process because i think we're protecting the attacker more and disregarding the safety of the defender because if we're encouraging lower waist level tackling or putting the defender's head in the way of the knees and that that also leads to concussion so maybe let's let's look at it holistically let's take a step back get off the dance floor and onto the balcony and look at how the whole process can be refined you I, know i think that just unfortunately the armpit is not far away from the shoulder line you know i just i think it's silly in any way to be trying to lower the tackle height but i would accept the armpit as a fair trade-off anything lower and you're just not ruining the contact sport that rugby is so the True. armpit giving those two right. inches something you know it discourages those those seatbelt tackles now and and things like that yes it's not going to prevent concussions but i think it's the fairest compromise anything lower than that now we're just yeah. getting a bit ridiculous yeah, I realized I was a little bit hypocritical there arguing both sides of the of the story, but it is a very difficult one. We do need to if we can't ultimately it is a contact sport, we can't remove we can't make it so soft because at the end of the day, concussions will happen. It is a contact sport. And the only way to truly eliminate concussion is to eliminate contact entirely. So we're not going to get away from it. Yeah, that's for sure. And like you say, they have to look after both the attacker and the defender in these situations. But thanks, Leon. That was a lack of topic suggestion. Please get in touch with us. Drop us your address so that we can send you a punted cap. And yeah, guys, just remember, please drop us your, your requests each week. 
We'll be picking one for the pod and you'll be getting yourself some punted merch along the way. Lacquer may fork charm caps and shirts. They are quite nice, Ronnie and I have been wearing them. And yeah, they, they could be yours. So thanks for tuning in this week, everyone. Have a lacquer one and catch you back here next week, Wednesday. Mm-hmm.